You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We are coming to you from the headquarters of the Office of Cable TV, Film, Music, and Entertainment, which is also the historic headquarters of Black Entertainment Television, so it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the Council. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media, at Council of DC. If you don't follow us already, get with the program. Here at the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communications. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the Council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the DC Council is just like your workplace, except with a dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You'll learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution. Uh, so now, without any further ado, let's welcome our guest. Welcome back to Chairman Phil Mendelson. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Mr. Gibson. Thank you. Thank you for coming uh, back. You're, you're uh, brave or foolish. Thought long and hard about whether to make a return visit. Excellent. Uh, well, you, you, you chose correctly. Uh, as folks uh, who listen frequently, and, and if you do, bless your hearts, uh, we recently wrapped up our first round of uh, interviews with council members. Uh, they're available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, these focus mainly on getting to know the council members, their backgrounds and biographies. Now in our second round, we're going to focus more on life at the council. Uh, experiences, learning curves, surprises, ins and outs, ups and downs. Uh, normally, this is where I say that in advance we shared our questions with the council member, but through an administrative oversight on my part, we did not share the questions. Intentional in administrative oversight, I'm sure. Uh, so, um, so in any case, it's uh, it's a free for all. So, yeah, so this is kind of like superlatives, you know, from your yearbook, like, you know, most likely to succeed. What uh, yearbook? You didn't look at any yearbook. One's, one's yearbook, a generic yearbook. Um, but these are superlatives of life at the council. Um, and you, having been at the council for quite some time, um, have a, quite a body of work to draw upon. So uh, let's start off on the positive and happy side. What do you see some of your biggest victories in 20 years on the council? Uh, marriage equality legislation. I managed that through the council at a time when most of the states, actually we were like I think the six states, so most of the states had not adopted uh, legislation like that and there was a question whether Congress would over, overturn it. Uh, on the environmental side, the renewable portfolio standard, which sounds very technical, but it's meant to get away from carbon-based electric gener uh, generation. Uh, the TREE Act, which is also on the environmental side to try to expand, increase, protect our what we call urban forests, the trees that are in the city that are good for the environment as well as uh, really increase the value of um, land in the city. Um, there were there have been a number of bills in the area of criminal justice that uh, I authored that have become law. That's because I chaired the Judiciary Committee for eight years. 
uh, including the establishment of the uh, uh, Department of Forensic Science. Uh, that was a bill that I authored and uh, and then uh, got through the council. So we have independent and very science-based uh, research behind uh, evidence for uh, criminal trials. Uh, it helps both defendants as well as prosecutors. The um, elected attorney general is another bill that I authored when I chaired the Judiciary Committee and got to the Council. Um, that uh, We used a process that hadn't been used before to amend the Home Rule Act. Uh, there are some provisions of the Home Rule Act that we can amend, but we have to follow this process, which includes uh, a Council enactment, a referendum by voters, and then, uh, if I remember correctly, it's a 35-day congressional layover. Um, you know, in the criminal justice, uh, some issues like uh, criminal record sealing, that was, I was the first one to uh, move a law to substantially expand the ability of returning citizens to expunge a record after a certain number of years. There was a lot of resistance from the U.S. Attorney, actually from the federal side of our law enforcement system. Uh, but we were able to get that through, and since then the council's been able to expand that. Um, Budget autonomy is a bill that I authored uh, after I became chairman of the council, and that again was an amendment of the Home Rule Act. And uh, the mayor, then mayor, and the attorney general disagreed that we had the authority, and we uh, went to court, and uh, the court validated our action, and we now have budget autonomy, which some of the Republicans in Congress resent but it means that uh, we actually have better control over our finances. And the fact is, is for better or worse, Congress still has plenary authority over our budget. Uh, the tax triggers, which were the recommendations of the Tax Revision Commission in 2012-2013, and uh, most recommendations with regard to tax reform get put on the shelf, but uh, we um, were able to implement that, and we had to uh, phase it in over time with triggers based on revenue growth. Uh, we were able to substantially reduce some taxes, create much, uh, much fairer personal income tax system, and uh, um, we were able to do that without uh, hurting the, the city's ability to go forward with its budget. Um, those are a few accomplishments. And uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is back on the um, on the uh, same-sex marriage. Is it seems like in this, uh, DC's home rule history sort of neatly tracks with the gay rights movement. That fairly early in home rule, and, and this is before you were there. And correct me if my memory is wrong. The the sodomy repeal initially, I think, initially failed and then passed fairly early in um, the council's history, um, and that we've sort of continued to be on the cutting edge uh, since then. Uh, yeah, but I think I would describe it a little bit differently. Okay. Uh, the uh, the city has always been progressive, and uh, in the 1970s, I believe the first council, um, the first council, although it might have been their second term, sec second uh, period, meaning year three or four, we adopted the Human Rights Act, which uh, is uh, one of the most progressive human rights acts in the country, um, protecting. Uh, pre basically protecting against uh, discrimination of any kind except based on merit. So if I'm unable to do a job because I'm not as good at doing it, then you can fire me. But uh, you can't uh, based on race, religion, um, uh, just any other basis. That was in the 1970s. And uh, then the domestic partnership law, 
which was adopted in the light, late 1980s, as I recall, maybe the early 1990s. Sodomy repeal didn't happen until around 1975, after we had the um, domestic partnership law. And then we uh, slowly removed provisions from the law with regard to um, uh, references to husband and wife and made them more gender, gender neutral, uh, expanded the rights of domestic partners, and uh, continued that until 2010, 2009 or 2010 when we adopted marriage equality. Okay, now I'm sorry, that was a long explanation, but that's, uh, no, that's it, the history. It, it added uh, uh, detail and accuracy to uh, my description, which was somewhat lacking. Um, so let's talk about some setbacks on the council. I, I left off one other um, accomplishment, and that is um, a year and a half ago, uh, I pushed through the council the universal paid leave bill. And actually that was, in a way you could look at that as um, the third step of three initiatives that I pushed um, paid safe and sick to ensure that uh, full-time employees do uh, have a minimum number of uh, paid sick days. A person shouldn't have to choose between taking care of um, their illness and losing their job. A person shouldn't have to go to work sick. That was paid safe and sick around uh, 2006, 2007. And then the minimum wage increase in 2013, which we coordinated with uh, Montgomery and Prince George's County. The council then came back a year later, increased the minimum wage again, uh, and then universal paid leave. Um, so those are significant advancements for um, for workers. Absolutely. Uh, so, so on the flip side of victories are uh, setbacks, defeats, uh, things that didn't go the way you planned. Can you, reaching all the way back or more recently, uh, describe a couple of those things that you uh, you you maybe wished you had a things have gone differently? Well, I usually don't think about those, so that list doesn't come to mind as quickly. There there have been a few, um, a few disappointments. Uh, actually, the other day, a week ago, I was talking with somebody about um, a pre-apprenticeship program that I introduced a bill and tried to get through and was never able to get it through. Uh, nutrition labeling uh, on uh, restaurants, which we're now seeing with uh, chain restaurants like McDonald's where on the menu board it has the calories. Uh, what I had authored and introduced over and over again was, um, was uh, provided more information from more restaurants, would have required more information from more restaurants uh, in Washington, D.C., and that uh, unfortunately couldn't, I couldn't get that through the council. And ultimately the Affordable Care Act but passed by Congress had a provision in it that preempts the states. And uh, basically the deal there was the National Restaurant Association saw that this was becoming a state-by-state -state battle and uh, thought it was better to just get something that applied to the entire country, which was tacked onto the Affordable Care Act and then preempt the states. So that was a disappointment that we couldn't do that sooner and do it better. Now, what did you? What did you? Let me say more about the pre-apprenticeship program. That's the, what I was the idea. Ask more be, the idea behind that was um, uh, apprenticeship is a great way for folks to learn a skill. Uh, a lot of our trades are skilled trades, and uh, like electricians, electrical work. It's not just something where you get hired by an electrical company and you can go rewire a house. 
uh, there's actually quite an extensive program, and a lot of it comes on the job. And the wages are and phenomenal, generally. Yes, they this. are. If you are a um, a full, fully licensed electrician, and uh, so one way to get started is through apprenticeship programs. But w one of the challenges that we have is the kids who drop out of high school uh, are um, generally they they're not. Um, they don't have enough of the skill that you learn in school, you know, with reading and math, to um, be able to do the um, apprenticeship program. So there's pre-apprenticeship, where you learn those skills. You learn some basic math and reading and uh, other skills that will help you with keeping a job. I want to call those social skills. Now, an apprenticeship program, because we have that in the law, it's actually um, uh, a byproduct of federal labor law, we can't discriminate in the sense that say that only DC residents can participate in apprenticeship, but we could with a pre-apprenticeship program. So it would be a way of getting more district residents employed, uh, helping those who are really uh, hard to employ because they don't have the skills that you get with pre-apprenticeship, and we would limit it to residents, to pre-apprenticeship. Uh, great idea, and I was never able to get that through. How far back are we talking? Last uh, 10, 15 years. 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. What do you, why, why haven't you done a second run at it? Uh, actually, I was talking with somebody the other day, a labor leader, and remembered the uh, bill, and um, that's why I'm telling you about it, because I'm only last week was talking with somebody about it. So I'm looking at taking a second run at it. But what did you, what did you learn from the first time that might help you the second time? I think the environment's changed. Um, I might be I might be better skilled at uh, the legislative process having been there a few more years than 10 years ago but in the end um, uh, legislation you've got to one's got to have support from colleagues and if there's a cost to it they've got to deal with the cost and if there's resistance from the executive that can stymie a bill as well but the core content really hasn't changed you just think your skill set might be a little different no, I think it's worth trying again. I just think it's worth trying again. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, America, I think, is, uh, compared to Europe in particular, does not uh, do apprenticeships the same way. So many people go, a sort of much larger percentage of the population goes to apprenticeships in Europe. And here it's done in the trades, but nowhere near the same level. And yeah. it's, they're, they're great jobs. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So, okay, that's, that's interesting to hear. Um, when uh, give us an example of a time when you were in the public public meeting or at hearing, uh, and we, we we call this question the the, the saddest moment on the council or, or the, the the worst um, soul song ever tears on the dais. What? Um, soul when, song? When, what? When when it's it's sorry it's 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 for, for frequent listeners. Uh, tell me about a time when you were talking to someone at a community meeting. Or someone was testifying before you, and you got choked up. You got almost choked lost up. It. Yeah, you were just emotionally uh, caught up in what was going going on. You heard a terrible story that just broke your heart. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you don't get choked up. Maybe you get angry. Um, but tell me about a moment when something someone said affected you uh, viscerally. When I chaired the judiciary committee. Uh, from time to time, 
there were hearings where victims of crime would come and testify. I don't know if I got choked up, but I remember right after the South Capitol Street murders, which was uh, 2010, March of 2010, if I remember correctly, and it was a horrific incident. There were there was somebody who'd been murdered, and uh, I'm going to say maybe 20, give or take a year or two, years of age. And uh, so a lot of his friends, a bunch of kids, went to the service, his memorial service. And there was some uh, retribution going on back and forth uh, around that incident, uh, which I'm not sure most people realized. When I say most people, the kids went to the service, but there was somebody who was angry. And um, so when the kids came back from the service, uh, it started to rain and they huddled in a doorway on South Capitol Street and this other kid, 20 years of age, plus or minus a year or two, Orlando Carter, uh, got a couple of buddies. He'd been planning this for a few days and they drove by and just opened fire on the kids in the doorway. And if I remember correctly, there were four or five kids who were murdered and uh, another four maybe who were wounded. And uh, folks were really angry about that. And I had a hearing and um, um, the parents, I'm getting a little choked up now. I mean, it was really hard, really hard on them. And uh, you know, what do we do as a government? We can't give them back their kids. And uh, they were angry and they were hurt. Uh, there have been a few other occasions, but that's one. Yeah, I mean, the, the more recent incident with the 10-year-old girl who was killed in the drive-by, the Relisha Rudd, I mean, some of them are just, I just sit and watch the hearings on TV in my office, and um, what do you do? What do you say? Yeah. What do you, you know, it's... Uh, but well, and they wanted me to, um, to change the law in various ways right then and there, and they were angry at the system, and in a way, um, the system had failed them because Orlando Carter uh, had, uh, he'd been arrested many times, and why was he out on the street able to do this? He'd been arrested the week before. But what's the process for taking that sort of visceral emotion that you're taking in and that you're feeling as a human and getting to legislation that'll actually be intelligent and make a difference? Like, what does the, the, the meat grinder look like that well, that goes there's not in? Well, there's not a formula. Um, there just isn't, but... Uh, no, but you got to get I've, it from A to B. With, with regard to South Capitol Street, I uh, often think about it in the context of the work that I'm doing with um, truancy. And uh, if that sounds a little odd, it's because it occurred to me... See, Orlando Carter was the uh, perpetrator, but his brother, Sanquan Carter, had been involved uh, in the, that, that week of events. And, um, uh, and, and when the incident occurred, the police found the van, and they followed the, went after the van, and uh, everybody, the van, I don't remember, it crashed, it stopped, whatever, everybody got out, and the police followed one of the suspects into a school and arrested a kid who turned out to actually not be involved, but his last name was Carter. So initially my thought was, how do you have three kids from the same household that are committing felonies like this? It turned out to be two, but still that was the thought process. And 
It occurred to me that in a, in a family that's as dysfunctional that it's raised two murderers, uh, there's other dysfunction going on, and one way that it identifies itself early is missing school. So if we did more with regard to attendance or truancy, we would have, from the educational perspective, the benefit of getting these kids back into school and learning. But from a criminal justice perspective, we would be identifying, kids are self-identifying themselves as at risk of going into the juvenile justice system. And uh, we, we get them back into school. We, uh, if, if it looks warranted, the child welfare agency could look and see if there's something going on in the family, in the household, like abuse. And in that way, reduce, ought to be able to long-term reduce the number of kids who get into juvenile justice, the juvenile justice system. Um, we ought to have been able to have stopped the Carter brothers before they murdered nine people. That's two Absolutely. to five people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit like the throwing a stone in a pond and the ripples coming out, that the, the murder is a tenth ripple. There's several other failures that happened, and I don't know if it's early childhood education or health, or but if you try to get as close back to when things started to go wrong for that person, and by truancy, you're going several ripples back in. Yes. That's the way to do it, because by the time you're eight, nine ripples out, it's so hard to to reverse things. Correct. Correct. So, but uh, there's not a formula for each bill. They're different. Uh, uh, they're they're different paths. I mean, in a way, you're asking where does the idea of bills come from? It could be a conversation. It could be a news report. It could be a lobbyist, and lobbyists can be business people, and they can be um, social justice activists. Uh, they could just be neighbors, and uh, there are a lot of different sources for for bills. And uh, depending on the bill, it uh, requires different strategies for that bill to be approved. But I mean, that, it's interesting because it's a worthwhile insight because you would think when something bad happens, you throw the book at directly what happened, the very real incident itself. But by looking at it intelligently and feeling the emotion but taking a step back, you can get at the source a little better and hopefully be more effective in the long run. Yeah. It might not be quite as uh, good as a slapping out at it in the moment, but it probably is more effective. So, so that is interesting. Um, okay, so to turn on a dime, uh, tell me some some funny stories. I don't have a sense of yes, humor, Josh. Uh, well, pretend. Um, from your time on the council, pranks you've seen, uh, entertaining hijinks among colleagues. Uh, help me out. I can't. Um, you've got me so nervous, Josh, that I, I can't think of anything amusing. My first term, you know, I got elected at the same time as Jim Graham, mm -hmm. and Jim Graham always wore a bow tie, and I used to sit next to him, and um, at my first term, our first term, I remember com talking with him one day and saying, well, how about uh, next meeting, uh, I, Phil Mendelssohn, I'll wear a bow tie, and you, Jim Graham, you'll wear a regular necktie. So we did that. And were they your own ties, yes. or did you trade ties? No, no, no. Okay. I have, I have a stock of bow ties at home. Okay. And Just I know curious. how to tie bow ties, in case you want to know. Okay. Do you? Carry on. I do, do not. I do not. Mm -hmm. I just use a staple gun. 
Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I learned recently the chief of police, he doesn't tie his uh, necktie, which actually makes sense. It's a clip-on. Oh. So that if a bad guy grabs it, it comes right off. I was going to say, that sounds like an, an apprenticeship opportunity. No, no. To be the not, guy who no, ah, ties the tie. No, at any rate, it was the worst legislative meeting in my career. It was horrible. Um, and I attributed it all to being confusingly dressed. The, the incorrect, incorrect mm-hmm. tie. Um, now, it's funny. We ask these questions uh, to, um, to everyone who comes in. Normally, they're not the chairman. Um, you know, as the chairman, you have a There's fair amount There's only one chairman of the council, although there have been... I'm the ninth. So the other day, I looked at the history of council members, and there's been the most turnover in the office of chairman since home rule. The least turnover in Ward 2. Mm-hmm. John Wilson was Ward 2 council member for 16 years, and Jack Evans is finishing his 28th year. But uh, there have been, if I remember correctly, nine council chairs. And how did you factor uh, at-large seat turnover? Did you look like a long at-large seat A, B? Yes, and if I'd known you were going to quiz me, the, if I'd known you were going to bring this up, I would have brought my sheet. For the record, you brought it up. But, no. um, but anyway, uh, we tend to ask a question about rules folks would like to see changed, uh, pet peeves about how the council runs, things they'd like to see done differently. You're in the awkward situation of being able to change a lot of that stuff. But uh, the question remains... Yeah, there's, what, a, what there's a, um, a myth out there that whatever I want, I get. No, but if there's a little pet peevey thing, you have a higher odds than most other council members of being able to fix it. Well, I can tell you I didn't want to stripe the parking spaces in front of the Wilson building, but I got outvoted on that. Yeah, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. Democracy. Were you action. there when that happened? Uh, yeah, I was. Uh-huh. Yeah, and no, s- they rolled me on that one. But but also, I think they misstriped the spaces. If you they look did. carefully, I no, think they, they did. They counted wrong or something. But anyway, it's uh, well, it's tough to get to thirteen, but uh, or twelve. Right. Cause I'm supposed to park in the back. Right. I prefer right. to park in the front. Um, yeah. That's tough for for. Yeah. Uh, that was actually one of well as you. I should have mentioned that as one of the Saturdays in my. Oh, when you, when you lost the, the, the Battle of the Stripes. Yeah. Okay. Um, De- it was devastating. Now, uh, as you remember last time, uh, towards the end of the show, uh, we, we had our dessert ranking conversation. No, they, you know, actually, we used to have breakfasts, and they were closed-door breakfasts. And one of the values of the closed-door breakfasts was that um, the council members could say what they really thought. And the language was sometimes rather foul. And I do remember there was a meeting where um, it had to do with some tax legislation, and I'd rounded up the seven votes necessary. And my colleagues, I won't mention names, but they're not all on the council now. Um, They were pretty angry, and they said some really horrible things. And I don't mean horrible like I was upset about it, because I actually kind of knew that they were swearing as badly as they were because I knew they were losing. But then it got picked up in the paper because somebody reported it. Um, Those were... We don't have meetings like that any longer because we now have to do our breakfasts open to the public. And it means that somebody can't throw something at a colleague and they can't get up and swear it's... Actually, they've kind of taken the fun out of things. I'm frankly amazed at the candor that still exists in those meetings with people knowing full well that they're surrounded by press. I mean, I wasn't back in the the old days before they were opened up, but I'm kind of amazed how they do stay pretty uh, salty sometimes. There's a story from the 1980s, I believe, might have been a little earlier, where 
Dave Clark and John Wilson got one at it, and one of them threw an ashtray at the other. Now, you know, back in back in the day... Was this like one of those crystal numbers? Like it one was of those... a glass ashtray, just okay. a glad, cheap government-issued glass ashtray because people could smoke at meetings in mm-hmm. the 1970s, and um, so maybe that's when it was, and the two got into it, and one of them threw an ashtray at the other. There was a council member who bit a tow truck driver in the parking lot that was next to the Wilson building. Uh... Yeah. Bit him in the back. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm familiar with that. Uh, this Doug Moore, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wasn't going to mention names. Oh, I'm sorry. But it's in the paper. I mean, it's Google will tell you. Google DC Council and tow truck. <laughs> it probably is about 100 results down, but it, it comes up. Yeah. Um, You'll probably get a bunch of parking tickets. Yes. Uh, incidents. Um, and, and now most of our vulgar public scraping matches happen in hallways and not at meetings. So, so that's, that's you something. You mean when somebody swore at me? Yes. Yes. That was what I was referencing. Um, so, but anyway, last time we were here, we closed out on our sort of light uh, icebreaker at the end of the episode with the dessert rankings. No, no, no. The icebreaker is supposed to be at the beginning. I know. Of the I, show. I'm new here. Um, but not surprisingly, you picked, I believe it was either rhubarb or strawberry rhubarb pie. No, no, not strawberry rhubarb. Straight up rhubarb. Yeah, no, that's the yeah, preference. Right. Rhubarb. It was in the most predictable dessert selection of. 13 council members. Um, but we have a new list of, uh, of things that we do at the end of the show, and we'd like you to pick at least two of these. Um, We're we, on radio, and you're showing me something. Correct. Uh, I will read it aloud. Yeah, you can pick at least two of these. We'd like you to do an impression, tell a joke, tell us about a strange thing you collect, tell us about an oddball job you had, tell us about one ludicrous thing you can't live without, tell us about your weirdest family member, or shower me with effusive praise. We have about a minute, and we'd like you to do two of these. You still have to do it. We're not. We're not. We'll extend the show. We'll buy extra time. The Lord knows that you've got to have a weird family member, and you must have had an odd. Everyone's had an oddball job. I had a uh, great, great, great uncle who was in the um, Union Army in the uh, Sherman's March to the Sea. Yeah, and he told stories. Show? Do you do you have five anecdotes? <laughs> I did not mention that <laughs> in the last show. Thank you much. Are you sure? Well, yeah. we'll review the tape. Do you I, have... Are you like grading me on my? Uh... No, I'm just trying to keep it fresh. I um, I'm feeling such pressure. I can't think of an oddball. Oddball. Job what did what What was the job you had as a young child? What was your first job? Worked in a water heater factory. You were going to ask me about that. I, I know. You told me you were going to ask me about that. that. We're saving that up for the the, the holiday episode oh, when please. we have the highest listenership. Uh, I, I may have a conflict. Now, what, did you, what, did you, what did you do? What did you do? At I the, did all kinds of things. There was an assembly line that you kind of moved. It was a small enough company. You moved the water heaters. So you did actual like assembly. Yeah. It wasn't like bookkeeping or dumping the trash. Or... No, no, I did assembly. Okay. I actually, uh, as a uh, 17-year-old or 18-year-old, was foreman for a week when the regular foreman was on vacation. One of the proudest moments of my life. I bet. Mm-hmm. I bet. And to any of those skills? Mm-hmm. And we made uh, water heaters for Amish, which is kind of interesting because Amish do not use electricity. And uh, there was a water heater that we made that... Uh, the, uh, they were all, all oil-fired, and the oil dripped into the combustion chamber. And, uh, and, and as opposed to being injected electrically. Oh, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. See, that's new. That's actually not very interesting, it's, but for you it is. It's interesting for me. Uh-huh. So there were Amish, uh, Amish um, what do I want to say, Amish areas of the country that were uh, big customers. 
because we made that kind of uh, here, uh, uh, water heater. Yeah, so anyone who's listening, if you had Amish water heaters in your uh, hearing council bingo, I think it was called you, an you can, F40. You can check that box. Um, well, golly, uh, we're out of time. Um, but uh, thanks again, everyone. I used to, I used to be a peridromophile. What is that? Peridromophile. You say, tell us about a strange thing you collect. Okay, and what does that mean? It's because I um, read a book when I was in college, and gosh, I can't remember exactly what the book was, but it talked about uh, a guy, uh, William James Sidlis, S-I-D-L-I-S, and he was a mathematical prodigy. He like graduated from Harvard at the age of 12, and he wrote a book that I think is still considered an important book in the area of mathematics. And he basically burned out his brain before he was 20. And he went on in his next, he then wrote a book, which is not the book I read, that uh, was called uh, Notes on the Collection of Streetcar Transfers. And if you collect streetcar transfers, then you are a peridomophile. Un unclear why you couldn't have started instead of ending with that sentence. But on that note, thanks again, listeners, for joining us. Notes on the collection of streetcar transfers. Yes. Hen and, Henry and, and James um, or and, William James Sidlis. S-I-D-L-I-S. And you can look it up. Google and, and, it. And Amish Water Google S-I-D-L-I-S. Thanks, everyone. Anything We're at DC Radio 96.3 on your HD4 dial. Shower you with praise. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council.